Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and it's the offseason. So you know what that means. It's time for offseason guides. We are going to get into a first part of our offseason guides today, Gavin, and it's probably the most important position for the Knicks. Yeah, we are talking point guards. We are starting off with the in-house options. Is Emmanuel quickly ready to start? I think you might know our answer on that one. Is Derrick Rose still in the picture? Should he still in the picture? What about Duke, Deuce McBride? What about Rokas Jakobaitis? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Locked on Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're listening to us just in podcast form or you start checking us out on YouTube, where you can see our smiling faces every day talking to you about the Knicks. We appreciate you guys making us part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster, working some lacrosse this week, correct? You nailed it. You're right All on right. top. Yeah. Lax season, baby. It might not Woo! be Nick's season, but it's lax season. <laughs> and, <as> uh, <laughs> but for us, fortunately, unfortunately, it is always Nick's season. And as we said, we're talking about doing the off season primers for a few different positional groupings. I think the way that we've decided to do it is point guard. For a couple episodes, and of course, there's a lot to talk about there. And uh, as far as who might be leading the Knicks at that spot next year, then we're going to do a episode or two, or perhaps three, I don't know, on uh, wings and and that general category. And then we're going to do an episode on bigs as well, which that probably will only be a single episode because I feel like there's a lot less options that we'll be talking about there. Uh, but. Of course, point guard. This is going to be a multi-part episode. It's always the hot-button issue with the Knicks since Clyde Frazier was playing. I don't know. It seems like it's been a debate ever since then. And where else would we start this with our first episode, which is the in-house options, then with Emmanuel quickly? Um, I think, Gavin, you and I are both in agreement, as well as many of you know the Knicks faithful, about Emmanuel quickly being the top option for the Knicks as a potential starting point guard that's already on the roster right now for next season, regardless of Derek Rose, who we'll talk about in a minute, regardless of Alec Burks, uh, the, you know, the incumbent uh, as it were, and regardless of even like Deuce McBride or uh, Rokas Jokobitis, who's still overseas, you know, I don't think there's a single player that's either underemployed by the Knicks right now, or in the case of Jokobitis, who, who the Knicks have rights to, that I would more want starting as the point guard on day one next year than Emmanuel quickly. And I, I think there's so many reasons to back that up at this point. Yeah. And I almost, I don't think we need to spend too much time on it. Right. Because we, we spent the last, uh, a better part of the last six episodes with Schwinn and Dallas, like diving deep on why quickly is the top option. I, I think, 
I think I'll just sort of sum up all my points by saying like he's earned a chance at it, right? Like because the big the biggest question I have about him at this point is can he hold up against top competition night in and night out? And we had that debate between him and RJ Barrett, which one was the top guy? I said the biggest thing in my mind in RJ's favor was that, I mean, it might not always be efficient. It might not always look pretty, but he's shown that physically he can handle taking that pounding and being that guy night in and night out. It's a grind to be a starter in the NBA. It's a real grind to be a starter in the NBA who has the ball in their hands a whole lot of time. And that's kind of what we're asking out of Emmanuel quickly. Um, will his efficiency uh, drop off a little bit playing that many minutes? Will his defense not have quite the same verve? Um, will he be able to beat guys off the dribble as cleanly when his legs are that much more dead? And when he's going up against a Marcus Smart instead of, uh, I don't I don't want to say Jose Alvarado, he's been a good defender, but you, 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 uh, you're Ish Smiths of the world. Um, I, it's, it's hard to answer that, right? But the whole point is it's year three for him. And he's shown some incredible flashes. I would argue he's shown more than flashes. He's shown incredible sustained stretches of play. Um, and beyond that, oh, oh, down the stretch of the season, he did it in real situations. Again, against the Heat team, trying to win a big game. Um, Torch Toronto, who was playing, I, I know not everyone, I know Fred Van Vliet was out, but was still playing like some of the better defensive players in the NBA and just, just absolutely lit them up. Um, he's earned the right for us to just kind of figure out what this is, right? And the the idea that he's not going to come back better next year is ridiculous. Like, I think this dude has a top 5 to 10% work ethic in the NBA. I know that's a relative term, but everything we heard about him from, from someone like PD Webb, who we had on a ton of times, who really, really knew coming out of school is this guy was a pathological worker. And, and all I've seen on the court in terms of the way he shored up his weaknesses, the way he went from someone who just could not get into the lane to someone who was automatically at the rim, play in and play out, in, in seemingly a matter of weeks and months it was just nuts. Like it, it's clear that any potential that is untapped, he will figure out a way to do it. Um, I, I have no qualms about him being the opening night point guard next year. And if he's not the opening night point guard, he better be the opening night shooting guard because he's a guy who's earned 27 to 32 minutes per game. Yeah. And let's just, you know, just to, to put a little bit of stats to it, like after the all-star break this year, 16 points, uh, 5.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists, Shot 43.6% from the field on 11 field goal attempts per game, 38.3% from three on 5.6 attempts per game, and 85.2% from the free throw line, which is actually really low for him <laughs> based off the precedent that he set in his career so far in 28 minutes per game, but only one start. You know, So yeah, I'm with you. I, I guess that is the one big question left to be asked is like, you know, we have seen quickly closed games against starters before and stuff like that. So I, I, it's not like we have zero sample of him, you know, playing against starting caliber players. But I guess it's like, does he need to come in off the bench to rev his engines up against the lesser guys to then, you know, really be going full speed by the time that he, he hits the end? I don't know, but I, I'm inclined to say probably no. You know, I think that he's going to be fine. He's... He's the type of guy that, you know, he always talks about like the magic's in the work sort of thing, basically, you know, just I put up tons and tons of jumpers and Obi Toppin talks about how quickly calls him all the time at like 2 a.m. to come down to the gym so that they can shoot together and stuff, you know, and <laughs> Obi's probably trying to put his kids to bed and stuff or, or you know, just sleep, you know, whatever. Um, so it's I, I think I'm with you. It, it kind of just has to happen at this point. You know, if the Knicks don't make any changes on that front, which, you know, it's a topic for another episode, but I think it's somewhat likely that they're going to go after someone. And I think that 
based off all the ties out there, Jalen Brunson or something makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, as a player that is on, honestly brings you a lot of the same things that quickly can, if, if we're just kind of looking at them objectively, although he's probably like a, a more realized version at the moment, cause he's older, has more experience, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I think that if you're just sticking with the guys that are on the team, I don't know how it could be anyone, but quickly going into next year based off what he, said or what he showed at the end of the season and then we have like for example mark berman our buddy has been on some other pods lately and has been saying like you know that that tibbs maybe actually was a little remorseful over not playing guys like quickly more this season so maybe he's even leaning towards starting quickly next year if that's the absolute best option on the team Uh, all i know is that you know we need to see more of him because the the flashes are so good that you know, we we have discussed him as potentially the best young player on the team literally just a couple days ago. And like, as much as I'm team RJ, like you and Dallas made some pretty compelling points as far as, you know, how he could potentially be the, the top young guy on the team. And the Knicks need to just explore that more. And, you know, Tibbs needs to be willing to try him at point guard and see what happens with him and RJ Barrett. And if he's still around, Julius Randle, if not, Obi Toppin, as a starting lineup and and see what the Knicks really have with these young guys and just kind of like take the, you know, just take the the anchors off, you know, take the, take the training belt off, you know what I mean? And, and just let them like go and, you know, see what they can do against starters in the best competition yeah. in the league. And, and I mean, and they're going to fall on their faces sometimes and that, and that's okay. That That's, I think that's like the most painful part about all this, I mean, especially this year, but even going back to two years ago, like it's easy to forget. We were arguing for him to start over Alfred Payton at various points of that season. And, and the case was like, even if he sucks, like just just let him take his lumps and and, and figure it out. Like that's, that's how guys get good in the NBA. Um, but Alex, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Emmanuel Quickly's future is so bright. I'm going to need some good sunglasses if I want to keep watching Knicks games. And the one place... I go for my sunglasses these days are Shady Rays. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays' insane protection program. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what happened. So give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, head to ShadyRays.com and use code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses, backed by over 150,000 five-star reviews. Alex, I can't wait till the day when Emmanuel quickly is backed by over 150,000 five-star reviews. Honestly, you, you go on Twitter, you, you might be hitting that number. Um, but let's talk about a guy who, throughout his career, has gotten a whole lot of five-star reviews, and that is, of course, Derek Rose. Uh, I made the case, I think you you at points were on board with me, that for long stretches in his, his first season, not his original first season the Knicks, his first season back on the Knicks, he was their best player. In, in the playoffs, I thought he was indisputably their best player. And, and the way he made life easier for Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, it, it, it's tantalizing to think about, all right, IQ and, and Obi are so much better. And, and they're like the kids who have who've gone away from home, 
develop their own independence, develop their own lives. But, but you know, but they have a great dad. And now, now they're going to get to go back home to dad and play, play with Derrick Rose once again. Um, but are we getting the same Derrick Rose if he's still on the team next year? That, that is my big question. This is a guy, it, it's well known with major, major injury issues. But just to put in perspective, he has not played 70 or more games in the last 10 years. He has not played over 60 games in the last five years. Availability is a massive, massive issue. And I think it's fair to have some concerns beyond just availability. Who exactly are we getting when he is on the court? If he loses just 10 to 15% of his remaining explosiveness, is he still the same guy? Can he, can he set up um, Emmanuel quickly and, and Obi Toppin just as well? Obviously, the three-pointer, and this, this was a, a big point of conversation, was, was so much better than it had been in his first stop in New York. And obviously then when he was on the Bulls, he was right around 36, 37% for most of that season um, in 2020-21. Um, his mid-range game was pretty deadly. He, he just has a certain savvy to him and knows how to get to his spots. But I, I still think that juice he had off the dribble is what set up a lot of that and, and got him into those positions. And he was still massively efficient at the rim. And I think it, it's reasonable to question after a, a, essentially a year of not playing uh, with all these injuries piling up, is he still that guy? And if he's not that guy, or, or you don't think he's going to be that guy, would the Knicks be wise to just sort of sell high on him and say, all right, we can bring in another veteran at a cheaper price and, and just sort of let IQ be the guy without someone looking over his shoulder? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm of this mind with Derrick Rose, basically. I think, again, you know, we're talking about the status quo right now. So if the Knicks decide to just go status quo, basically, and, and more or less run it back again, which... Again, I, I think it's very unlikely. I think something is going to happen, major or minor. There's going to be some movement. The Knicks are not going to just run back this roster again. Um, I think the Julius Randle situation, obviously, which we'll talk about another time, is a whole thing. You know, it, it, there's there's a lot that's probably going to happen. But in this hypothetical world where the Knicks basically bring back the same roster, I like keeping Derrick Rose because I will say one thing. You know, so Rose played um, in 26 games this year in total uh and he only played over 30 minutes in five six of those games sorry six of those games this year i think that that says to me that like i started to notice and you know part of this might have been that he was dealing with that ankle issue obviously intermittently like he there was a while right before he finally went down and just you know got the surgery and was done for the year that he was sort of going back and forth, back and forth, you know, like in for one game or two and then out for another game or two and then in for a game or two, out for a game or two until finally, you know, getting that operated on. Um, but I, I think that what we were starting to see this year was Tibbs finally sort of respecting uh, that Derrick Rose doesn't want to play a ton of minutes anymore. And if there's one player that Tibbs can respect their wishes about something, it's Derrick Rose because, they're you know, that's like his golden child from forever. Um, so, you know, I think that if you bring him back and you're bringing back all the same guys, my ideal would probably be to start quickly, bring Rose off the bench, obviously let some of that magic that those two have together play out sometimes. Um, but, you know, to, to mostly just use Rose in that role, I think if you do bring in an outside candidate, I wouldn't want to bring Rose back because I just think we talk about this all the time, but it's one of those like, save tips from himself from himself situation where I'm just like, do we really want to bring back, um, you know, Derek Rose and give Tibbs that temptation to play him 30 minutes a game and, you know, not play some of the young players. 
I don't think so. I would not like that too much. I would much prefer like if the Knicks just kept their current personnel, if Emmanuel quickly started, Rose came off the bench with Deuce McBride, similar to how he did with quickly in quickly's rookie year to sort of mentor him along and help him find a comfort zone. And then you see a little bit of minutes with, with Rose and IQ. But if you bring in like a Jalen Brunson or something, I think it's pretty safe. I mean, even though he's a good veteran and a good leader and all that stuff to the young guys, I think I'd probably prefer to get rid of Rose. As far as what you said, like if if he's lost a step based off this ankle injury, which I'm not totally sold that he did. I, I think that the only reason it took as long as it did was because there was the, the complication of his ankle, like getting whatever it was, like a staph infection or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is sort of a freak thing. You know, I don't think that's going to affect his recovery from that and whatever. So as long as he, you know, is, it uses his, it, like he has that whole stretch routine, like he actually had his health pretty well in check prior to, by Derek Rose standards, prior to this season, you know, I, I think there's a realistic chance he could still be the guy. Maybe not as crazy dynamic as he was when he first came to the Knicks uh, for the second stint. Because I think that he got like a crazy second wind for that, but I think there's a good chance that he could probably be like 85 percent of that. And if he could be 85 percent of that, Derrick Rose for like 22 minutes a night, backing up IQ and playing with Deuce, I, I think that's a pretty solid, you know, arrangement. And I'd be totally be down for that if the Knicks don't add another point guard option. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. And it, it's weird because you just have to remember there's a new paradigm with these guys. Because I, I'm thinking like the, the history of relatively short point guards entering their mid thirties. I mean, for, forget about Derek Rose's injury history. Even, even guys who had mostly pristinely healthy careers is not good, right? Usually that's when they tumble right off the cliff and, and they're just not the same guy anymore, but you watch someone like Chris Paul at age 37, who I, I think Rose is, I, I don't know if he's like gone vegan, but he, he's doing a lot of the same stuff clearly to maintain his body and maintain his explosiveness. And, and anyone who watched that first playoff game against the Pelicans, like Chris Paul still has it. And like, sure. Rose doesn't have quite the same level of craft, Chris Paul is is an all time shooter. Rose has gotten himself to be a good one. He's not quite on that level yet, but there are there is some some overlap there. Just in the idea that all right, like you gotta you gotta take that into account that this isn't this isn't 1995, this isn't 2005, this isn't even 2015. It, it, it's it's a it's a new era where these guys can play a bit longer. Um, to that point, though, and and I think when we talk about Jalen Brunson, I, I'm going to make the same exact argument. I think if you if you are playing Rose and quickly together you have to just make sure that lineup on the perimeter has a lot of length and athleticism. The good news for the Knicks though, is they have access to that. You throw some combination of RJ Barrett, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, Obi Toppin, um, assuming he improves a bit defensively over the off season out there with the Jericho Sims, you have guys who can cover a lot of ground. And I think for Rose, like, like the toy box is just so much deeper than what he had. And we saw him make this incredible magic, not, not just in 2021, right? But this season with that bench unit, like like we all, it's easy to forget because it feels like the Knicks had almost four different seasons with all the injuries and the melodrama and the Kemba stuff and the Randall stuff. And then the late season resurgence that they had. But at the beginning of the year, the story was the Knicks starting lineup is the worst lineup in the league. And the Knicks bench lineup is literally the best lineup in the league for, for basically the second straight year since they got Derek Rose. And to your point, even if Rose loses a half step, that chemistry is still there. That camaraderie is there, still there. And instead of like having like again very solid players in those spots, like I think you have guys just with higher upsides, with Grimes getting another year to develop, with Obi and IQ just being much much better versions of themselves than they were in 2021 and they were at the beginning of this season. 
Like it, it is worth to your point. If you can't get that Jalen Brunson, if you can't make the big swing for a Shea Gilgis Alexander or Donovan Mitchell, don't you want to see what that group can be together? So I, I'm almost talking myself out of my initial argument. I, I would just, I, I would just want to give those guys even just 10 to 15 games just to see, all right, can they be at plus 15 points per hundred possessions when they were plus 10 this year? I don't know, but that's an intriguing lineup to me. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of intriguing lineups out there that you could throw, you know, the young guys plus rows into, you know, or the, you know, whatever guys you want to, you want to throw out there. You know, I, that's the really nice part about this young core that the Knicks have is that they're very versatile. You know, we've seen various stretches of our, <laughs> All t- much to Tibbs's chagrin when, you know, it was mostly just due to injuries and stuff. But like RJ Barrett or Cam Reddish playing the four, or like Obi playing the five for stretches early in the season when it was necessary, you know, stuff like that. I think there's there's a lot of different ways you could approach this. And, and I think just my general standpoint with Rose, as I said, is just like if you don't have another option on the roster that you bring in from the outside then I'm totally down with him staying. Or if he's going to stay and you are going to bring in an outside option, I just think almost sort of out of respect to him too at this point and his body and his well-being, you know, like restrict him to like 10 minutes a game or something. You know, if you're going to keep him and you're going to bring on a Brunson or someone like that, you know, it, the the issue there is you can't really get away with playing like, at least I don't think like, like, there are some crazy lineups you could do, but I don't think you could really get away with like a Rose quickly Brunson lineup or something like that's just too much of a liability, too small. Um, You know, so you need to like, there would have to be a line drawn somewhere. So if the Knicks do want to go for an outside option and keep Derek Rose, I hope that he's moved into more of sort of like a mentorship role, even if he still kind of has it and he could always be there. Injuries happen as we saw this year. And we live in COVID world now too, where anybody can catch COVID any day and potentially be out for a number of days as well. So, you know, th- there would probably still be opportunities for Derrick Rose to play some minutes. Um, but uh, maybe Derrick Rose, if he wants to ensure that he comes back at absolute full strength next year, I feel like I'm about to do like the, the <laughs> I'm about to frame this like the, like in SpongeBob when they're door to door selling uh, candy bars, they go, it'll make you immortal. Oh um, yeah. I, I was thinking like a, like fight milk from what's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> it could be fight milk as well. Made with real protein. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, built bars do not have protein in them, but they do have lots of <laughs> protein. <laughs> regular we're protein. Ta- we're that, talking to them about adding it. <laughs> re- regular protein that won't make you have explosive diarrhea. Like, uh, <laughs> like fight milk does. Uh, and built bars are the best tasting protein bar out there. They are, uh, they're, you know, no matter what, they might not have the crow's. Oh, I'm not going to be able to let this one go. This whole reason. <laughs> they might not have the crow's milk, but they have the protein. They're all covered in 100% natural chocolate. And if you haven't tried them yet, you should try Built Puffs, uh, which are honestly some of my favorites. Now they are essentially a chocolate covered marshmallow. Uh, I don't know what more I need to do to sell you on it than that, but I guess I could tell you the flavors. Uh, they come in flavors like cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream pie. They're all so good. Coconut marshmallow, especially. You guys know I'm like a big Almond Joy guy. That's one of my favorite flavors. And in puff form, it's even better because it's just so airy and delicious and yummy. And definitely one of the best offerings that uh, Built has to offer. 
And no matter what, if you eat built bars, you know that you're doing your body a favor because they have just 130 calories, four grams of sugar and four net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein to help you recharge after a workout. Or maybe you're like Derek Rose. You also had to get some sort of surgery done this year. Gives you more protein to help recover no matter what you're recovering from. So if you want to get some built bars for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Built bars for bodyguards by bodyguards. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Gavin, to move to our next segment here, uh, this is where we get into the rest, right? Uh, do we want to gloss over the Alec Burks part and just say we're both hoping and praying that he's not the starting point guard next year, and if he does remain a Nick, can move back to his actual role, which is a scoring guard off the bench? Yeah, you know, you know those um like commercials for um for for medicine where they just spend like the last ten minutes like telling you how it how it can kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing the reverse of that. Like I feel like we need a, a positive qualifier every time we talk about Alec Burks. He's an awesome player. He's not a point guard. Let's just say yeah. that at the end of every, every every time we bring up Alec Burks, right? Yeah, effective effective bench scorer, great wing. We saw him for flashes last year before Tibbs decided to try to run the offense through him and like tire him out through that role that he was actually one of the best wing defenders on the Knicks last year, yeah. early in the season. Like there are episodes you can go listen to from the first like two weeks of the season where we go, Oh my god, is Alec Burks actually the best wing defender on the team? Also, like, it was like a top five shooter in the league before he just yeah. ran out of gas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he should be what he is, which is like a twenty to twenty five minute per game bench wing that can shoot the three for you that you don't want to have initiating your offense and trying to get inside where he shoots like 36% or whatever at the rim, which is just horrendous. Uh, He shot a a number of percentage points worse at the rim than he did from three this year, which is egregiously bad. Um, So no to Alec Burks as the point guard next year. Uh, But there is a more intriguing guy, right? And Deuce McBride. So, Gavin, I'll throw this to you because you you made mention in our notes about whether he's more of a point guard or a combo guard. I go back and forth on that too. He was obviously used as a combo guard more this year in tandem with guys other than like the one or two game stretch where we got to see him run the show uh, when everybody was out with COVID. But that was against so-so competition. But then he also really tore it up in the G League as their like actual point guard, point guard down there. So uh, how are you feeling on that that front right now? Yeah, I think we all remember that that game against the Rockets where he had nine assists and, and zero turnovers. Was, I just realized that was a weird statement. A lot of people probably didn't watch that game, but it was it was awesome if if you caught it. Um, and I think he's a really strong decision maker. I think he's a he's a not a transcendent passer, but he's he's a talented passer. My issue with him being the point guard is I just don't think his handle is nearly advanced enough yet. And that was something. We were talking about Dallas in regards to quickly. And I think even quickly is ahead of him in terms of his handle and quickly just has that, that first step in that burst that it's interesting because Deuce has that, that spring around the rim that quickly is getting better at, but just doesn't have to nearly the same extent. But I don't think he has that same first step or, or at least I haven't seen it yet at the NBA level if he does. And if you don't have that, I think you just need to be like a, a pretty elite three point shooter. And he's someone who projects as a solid to good three point shooter, but he's not quite that yet. So I, I just go over all these different boxes with him. And, and I think that's, that's ultimately going to be the question for him on like, if he has a long-term NBA future. And I think, I think he does just because he's too tough. He's too good defensively, too smart offensively, just too solid across the board to not be in this league for a while. 
but he has to have a standout skill offensively. And I don't know if I if I quite see it from him yet. He's just sort of like a like a six or seven out of ten across the board. And, and because of that, I think he makes a little bit more sense playing off the ball. And, and even though he's short, he's, he's just such a physical presence defensively against 80% of the two guards in the league. He's, he's going to be able to survive at a night-to-night basis. So my expectation is, is that's more so where he's slotted next year. But I think he's it, – it's it feels strong to say he's one of the more interesting questions about the Knicks heading to this offseason just because it's, it's very possible he's not going to play that big of a role. But I'm fascinated to see – um, if there is a spot in the rotation for him next year, or if he just makes a big enough leap over the offseason that he, he he sort of makes that like not a question. It's like, oh, we got to trade Evan Fournier. We got to trade Alec Burks because this guy is just that good. But I my gut instinct is when the Knicks make decisions in regards to point guards this offseason, they're not going to include him in that conversation. He's not really going to be a factor. Yeah, I and I don't know if I totally want him to be out of the point guard discussion. Like, I think... We sort of saw this with Quickly in some ways, and I sort of feel like it's the case with McBride too, that he's kind of a rhythm player. And, like, he didn't come on as strong as Quickly did this year. Obviously, like you noted, like, he shot, like, 25% from three this year on limited attempts. He, like, shot sub-30% for the field this year. But his impact stats were amazing. Um, You know, he and Quickly, I think, ended the season, albeit in a – a very small sample size thanks to you know them not getting any minutes really till like towards the end of the season together but they wound up i think is the the top two man unit in like the entire nba in their limited minutes that they had together um so you know i i think that there's no doubt that mcbride is going to make an impact in the nba for a long time i question a little bit if if i would want him to be like a combo guard two guard type of guy because I think he's just he's not quite big enough for that uh, to do that long term as like his primary position. I I feel like he's gonna have to learn to point guard a little more, and I think we've seen that he can. You know, I think that if he gets in a rhythm and he's given more playing time, like for example, I know that the G League is just the G League, but like, I mean, his stats there were just insane. You know, yeah. and and that was a place where he was really empowered to run the offense, be the guy set things up. He was running pick and rolls. Well, he was, you know, pulling up off the dribble, which he's probably, I mean, at least what he showed in the G league, especially like he's probably one of the better pull-up shooters on the Knicks, like right now, Um, which is saying a lot, you know, especially in like the mid range, you know, which is, I think an area that the Knicks really are bereft of guys that can, can really do the mid range. Well, Uh, but in the G league, nine games averaged almost 40 minutes per game. So you got to bear in mind, these stats are in like, a lot of playing time, but 29.1 points, 11.1 assists, 5.8 boards, almost three steals, uh, 47% from the field on 21 attempts per game, which is really solid. And 51 or sorry, 52% on almost nine, three pointers attempted per game. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what gives me pause a little bit. Like I know again, G league is a G league. We've seen, for example, Isaiah Hicks was a G League superstar too on a two-way contract for the Knicks and Kenny Kenny Wooten, our guy. Kenny Wooten, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's been we've seen a number Langston Galloway, you know, Trey Burke, whatever. Trey yeah. Burke was scoring like 35 a game down there, but he's Miles still an Powell. NBA player. Yeah, yeah, Miles Powell. Yeah, I mean, so there are going to be some players that light it up in the G League that aren't necessarily NBA caliber players. I don't know that Deuce is one of those guys. So, like, and I'm not saying that you're saying that he's not an NBA caliber player, but like. Yeah. He's he's played 
credible point guard down there. So I would love to see him given that opportunity more. Maybe he gets kind of eased into it, a la what we saw with quickly this year. Although maybe, you know, if he shows the the skills like quickly showed, hopefully, you know, even if he's in a situation where it's like him and Rose together as the the backup, sort of similar to like the the Rose and Quickly combo in, in uh Quickly's rookie year next year. Hopefully the Knicks give him some opportunities to kind of run things a little bit because I do think there there is something to it. And I, I think that he's got a lot of skills that you want out of a modern point guard. We just got to see if he can do it at the NBA level. And, and the only way to see that really is to give him reps, which we sort of saw even with guys like Obi Toppin at a different position. But like you give guys playing time and an ability to get in a rhythm and be comfortable and not feel like they're, you know, one mistake away from being pulled. And sometimes it unlocks a totally new thing in them. So I wonder if Deuce could be a case of that potentially. Yeah, I think I think it's a fair argument. And and to be clear, I mean, I'm I'm just a huge fan of his game. Like I, I think the sometimes you see a guy has even over a large sample size an absurd plus minus, and you can't really put your finger on it. And you're like, well, what's going on there? Like you you could feel Deuce every time he was on the court. He he along with the other young guys, the activity level on both ends just ramped up. He, he always made the next pass, which is such a simple thing, but it just it's just not something that everyone in the NBA can do. And, and certainly, I mean, this season and in the last 20 years, the Dicks haven't had a lot of guys who are willing to do that, to just make the right play, make the simple play. And he, he does it over and over and over again. There's not a selfish bone in his body. He, he's a culture setter in terms of who he is seemingly off the court and on the court. Um, I hope he's a part of the Knicks, and I hope he's a part of the Knicks rotation the next couple of years. And, and, and to your point, maybe, maybe he does have – NBA ready skill sets in a, in a number of different capacities. And we just haven't gotten enough time to see it yet. I'm just wondering if he actually will get that opportunity or not. And, and Alex, the final guy uh, we mentioned earlier, but I want to touch on is Rokish Jakobitis. And I think in all, in all likelihood, um, he is probably not going to be on the Knicks next year. I, he, he, someone asked him about it during the season, if, unless I'm completely misforgetting what he said, misremembering not miss if i misforgot i would remember um but he he said um he said he doesn't want to come over um for for at least two years i mean he seemed pretty like definite about that it did, didn't really seem there wasn't a lot of ambiguity there uh and i think that might be for the best especially if the knicks do bring in a jalen brunson just just let him continue for lack of a better term to like cook and, and marinate a little bit over in europe but i do think he would be an interesting factor to to the point of this podcast if the knicks do essentially run it back just because he seems like someone at a young age who would be an adult in the room. And, and I know that sounds contradictory, but it's it's a little different, obviously, playing college basketball versus playing in one of the top European leagues in the world. And, uh, and not, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I've sat down and watched multiple games of him, but for everything I've read, from everything I've heard, from all the highlights I've seen, he, he just he makes the correct decision over and over and over again. There's a craft to his game that's beyond his years. There's a, a, a manipulative aspect to his game that reminds me a lot of what we're starting to see from Emmanuel quickly, where he, he knows how to dictate how the defense guards him, and he knows how to create reactions in a defense that that trigger um, two helps like away from the ball and, and, and a cross-court pass to a wide-open shooter in a corner. He, he seems like he has that kind of basketball mind. Uh, can he get by from an athletic perspective in the NBA? That's that's still an open question. And, and again, it's sort of the same thing that we talk about with Emmanuel quickly. He has to come over and we have to see it, even if it's only for 10 minutes a game, to know that for sure. But I liked what we saw from him as summer league went on. Um, I think he would be intriguing as sort of the like, all right, not not if, because it's a win with Derrick Rose. 
when Derrick Rose gets hurt, um, he, he, he could be a guy who could come and play 15, 20 minutes a game and, and just be solid for you. But again, I think that's somewhat of an open question. I, I don't think it's going to be next year, but down the road, that's an option that intrigues me. Yeah, definitely. I, I think he's turning into a real player, you know, I, and I would love to go back and listen to myself over last summer league. I mean, I was pretty well convinced. I was like, damn, things don't look too great for him right now. You know, he seemed really the first game or two. I remember in summer league, it seemed like everything was moving way too fast for him. But even during summer league, he settled in a little bit. And then this year for FC Barcelona, which like can't be stressed enough, one of the better basketball teams like in the world um, outside of the U.S. You know, that's, that's one of the best teams in Europe always is, you know, pretty much every single year. Uh, he played 56 total games this year and they split up their play between like league play. So they play in the Liga ACB and then EuroLeague play, which is like uh, broader. You know, they play against more teams in Europe that way uh, versus the ACB, which is like just in France uh, or France, Spain. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, but like it, between those those two leagues, he averaged about seven, eight points per game this year. Shot about 45% from three on like one and a half attempts per game. Uh, shot like 54, 55% and just like head mathing it as I'm looking at the two different stat lines here. Um, and shot like around 75% from the free throw line with three assists per game. So uh, pretty consistent. You know, those numbers did not have a ton of variance between the two parts of uh, FCB's schedule there. So I, I think, you know, he he's probably going to be pretty well equipped when he comes to the NBA. It seems like he's he's not the type of Euro player that reminds me more of like a Frank uh, in that he doesn't seem overly deferential and stuff. Like he has a bag. He has a scoring package. He reminds me, I mean, I don't want to like make the lofty comparison, but like his his like sort of attitude on the court based off watching him reminds me more of a more of a Luca than a Frank Nilakina. You know, and let's not say he's going to be Luca or something. But I wouldn't be surprised if he if he comes over and becomes a really, really positive NBA player in short order once he has a little more seasoning over there. But I'm kind of with you. I think it, if the situation was right, I would try to convince him to come over this next year. I get the feeling it's not going to be an ideal situation for him, and he doesn't want to come. It's smart of him to say, I don't want to come over and sit behind some dudes and not get to play in the NBA when I could be playing in the best league in Europe. Like – and getting playing time on meaningful minutes for a good team. Uh, I don't blame him for having that stance at all. I think it's totally cool if he wants to stay there for another year or two, but based off some of the stuff that like, like Prez has kept a pretty good eye on him this year. So if you, if you go like search for some Joe stuff on like Prez's Twitter feed and whatever, you could probably find some clips that he's tweeted out this year. Like Joe Kobitis looks pretty good. I, uh, I like, I like what I've seen from him over there so far, and I think that he's he's going to make a good NBA player someday. It's just not quite yet. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. percent All right, so that wraps up our initial point card primer. But this is going to be a continued topic uh, over this week and next week. Uh, we are going to assess some draft options for the Knicks at the point guard position. Maybe I don't know. We haven't talked about this yet. Maybe we'll get on a guest to do that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and then we'll explore some free agency and trade options, some big names. Your Shea Gilgis, Alexander's, your Donovan Mitchell's. So all that and more in future episodes of Locked On Knicks. But for now, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Be good. Peace out.